Hello, my name is Jacob Miranda, a social psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at California State University, East Bay. And I'm Cassie Witt, a social psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Eastern Kentucky University. Together, we are the hosts of Corrupting the Youth, a podcast about the teaching of psychology. If you love psychology, education, or both, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, 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 beautiful people. Welcome to 2024. Happy Cassie. New Year. Happy New Year. How you doing, Cassie? Um, I'm I'm doing good. New Year, same me. <laughs> new Year, same me. I like it. <laughs> I was recently uh, thinking about the New Year uh, when I was teaching social psych last semester, and I'll do it again this year of like the self, right, and how we see ourselves. Um, and then, you know, there's statistics about when people want to change themselves and how it relates to New Year's resolutions, people's commitment and whatnot. And so there's this trend that as people get older and older, they're less likely to even like commit to any New Year's resolutions because they're just like, nah, versus like when you're younger, you're much more likely to be like, I'm going to change the world and change myself. And sure. Yeah. Having turned 30 in 2023, I'm, you know geriatric at this point yeah geriatric yeah i can't relate uh, i'm a young buck in his <laughs> 20s what can i say i mean late I know, 20s right? i mean no, 30s I, later on the corner <laughs> i'm not so old that i don't have resolutions though oh okay then uh, hold on more. i'm pulling up i'm pulling up my list of um uh, you would have your resolutions in the notes app of course of course <laughs> all right so number one less screen time <laughs> Less screen time, maybe less doom scrolling, all that jazz. Yeah, a yeah, little yeah. less doom scrolling, especially before I go to sleep. It's such a bad habit that I have, and I really don't want to carry that into this new year. Let's see. My next is to write more poetry. I like it. I like it. So I noticed, especially in the last couple of years, I really kind of like neglected like the creative part of myself. And so for Christmas this past year, um, Allie, my partner, she bought me like um, this poetry for a year kind of journal where like every day there's like a different prompt. So even if it's like a little poem, I'm like writing something every day. And so I've been consistent for the last three days. <laughs> we'll see if I stick to it. But I definitely want to write more poetry. Um, my next is to read 24 books which to some people is probably like, that's nothing. But I definitely don't read for pleasure as much as I used to. Like I was always that child that like I was constantly reading in the car at school, like constantly reading. And I just, I don't, I'm not like that anymore. And so this past year, 2023, I read 12 books. So I want to challenge myself <laughs> to double that number in 2024. Um, and then my last New Year's resolution is to shop more intentionally. I love shopping. I love clothes. But I also have been like reading a lot about like fast fashion and, you know, the ethics of like these mass produced clothing and stuff like that. So oh, I want to be like, shine. yeah, yeah. So I like I want to be more intentional with the things that I buy. So those are my resolutions. What are yours? No, I think that's fantastic. It's very varied. Um, I think I'll steal one of yours, even though it's something I kind of been thinking about. It's the reading for fun. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I can aspire for 24, um, <laughs> maybe not even 12. But I think I very much was like you, especially like in elementary, middle and high school, right? Where it's like, I would just read series, right? Series of books, yeah. the Harry Potter series, the Percy Jackson series. Yeah. The, uh, what's the word? Uh, series of unfortunate events. There used to be in my um, elementary school uh, in the library, like a, a point system, right? So like they'd have like colored stickers for like, this is like kindergarten level, first grade, second grade, third grade, high school level, college level. And so they had a system that if you read a book and like wrote a, a book report on it, like you would get like tracked, right? So like oh, the cool. teacher would track it. And so it would be like on the regular classroom wall, right? And it'd have all the students' names. And every time you get a point, like, it'd be, like, stickers. And it'd, like, be these columns of, like, stickers for those to track who's reading. And mine would 
go to the ceiling if that makes sense. <laughs> awesome. like, I was that student like I loved reading for fun and maybe it was yeah. my competitive spirit of you know because there was no prizes or anything but like that's how much I used to read and I don't know going to as awful as it sounds but like going to undergrad uh, yeah. and then my master's and then just the PhD there really was all the readings were like here's an article here's a seminar here's a you know it was just like prof- it wasn't it wasn't like a this is a good story or you know this sure. is a good so I I know someone that read like over a hundred books last year. Oh, and that's why you're like 24 is not that long. And I'm like, you know, 24. But I have to remind myself, it's not like I don't read. You know, like I think you're right. Like I I read a lot of academic texts and and journal articles and things like that. So it's not like I just don't have any reading at all. It's just a lot of my time is spent reading scientific articles, you know. So, but yeah, I think like the reading for pleasure, I was also that child. We had a program in my elementary school called Accelerated Reader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was also a point system. And I was in fourth grade and my school was like, whoever gets the most accelerated reader points at the end of the year, they're going to win a brand new bicycle. Oh, and I was like, I was like, we need to switch school. <laughs> <laughs> and then I won the bicycle and my brother, my twin brother was like, I want a bicycle. So the next year in fifth grade, they were like, whoever gets the most accelerated reader points gets a new bicycle. And I won it again when you were like, I don't know if it was like, I love to read or my competitive spirit (laughs) or a combination of both. (laughs) Oh, I was like, I relate to that 100%. But yeah, the social (laughs) comparison is real. Yeah, yeah. We would have been we would have been like mortal enemies in elementary school. <laughs> but like I, I, I saw the competitive, but I also just remember liking it. Like they were yeah. good stories, yeah. right? And like, I don't know, or going back to reading the Hunger Games again when like that was oh, really yeah. since that's been that's also been on my mind, like Percy Jackson, the Hunger Games, all these things that are coming out like now. I was like, mm-hmm. I read these in elementary, middle, high school and they were good. And and then when I see that people like them now and I'm like, oh God, I miss those stories. Do you have a Goodreads? I don't. I've heard of it. Is that like a, like a tracker or like Mm -hmm. a. Yeah. You can like, it like tracks books that you've read, tracks books that you're reading. You can do like reading challenges. You like rate books. Um, You should, you should make one and then we should follow each other. Yeah. Also it's like an accountability thing. Like. That way I can look and see like, hey, it's February. You've only read half a book. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no. Some accountability might help. I'll write that down. Goodreads? Because there's also some books, as weird as this sounds, that aren't... Basically, I want to like reread some books that I know Mm -hmm. that I loved. Because like two of my favorite ones are um, both LGBT related, funnily enough. But um, one is called They Both Die at the End. Um, I've always wanted to read that. I liked it. It made me cry. I remember, I think I read it maybe mm-hmm. two or three years ago. And that's where like the last four, I was actually didn't even say for fun, that like leisure uh, reading, but it's, it's a really sweet story, which the title gives away the ending of these two young boys die at the end. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it. so you're, as you're reading, you always know what's coming, but like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure just seeing them. Yeah. Anyway, I would recommend that one. And then the other one is uh, call me by your name, um, which I really like. Which they turn into a movie, and then there's the whole controversy with Army Hammer. Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, if um, the book is really, really good. Um, and that also, I, I don't know why, just these sad LGBT books, they also make me cry at the end. But like, I remember really enjoying it. They're not too long, right? They're not like 500 page books or anything. I think they're anywhere from like maybe like roughly 200 pages. So I could probably read it like in a single sitting. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. Don't you have that moment like, when you're so absorbed in the book and it's quite literally it's like oh three hours have passed like just like that flow state like I love that where you're like you're so I do too. like you're in imagination you're reading like you're just so absorbed I just love that I, I miss that feeling and I love that feeling, I do so. too but yeah as far as um other news res- new year's resolutions um before we jump into our main content of the material um I definitely I know that's it's the most probably common one but like fitness um my mm-hmm. physical health I think uh, I'm good career-wise right my mental health is good my social life, I mean, I'm working on, but I have financial health doing, but that physical health piece, um, I definitely believe I'm at the unhealthiest state in my life that I've ever been in, um, which makes it a bit sad. And I know everyone's like, I'm going to lose some weight and build muscle every New Year's. And then 
you know, within a month's time, I think it's like 70% of people already drop it. And by three months time, it's like 90% of people drop it. I do want to just be more intentional with that. And I already kind of started a little bit before New Year's. Um, One for me, obviously, there has to be that internal motivation. Um, But there's also this weird thing that's happening in October, this kind of big event where there's going to be like a lot of pictures taken and I'm going to be there. And actually, there's actually two of these types of events, but maybe Cassie, you're laughing, but do you want to maybe share some news? Am I outing your news too soon? So the big event in October is I'm getting married. Hey, I'm going to be like, oh, boss, I can't listen to you listening (laughs) But yes, Dr. Witt is still going to be, I believe, Dr. Witt, but now it's going to be, you know. But with a wife. <laughs> with a wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, I mean, we haven't recorded. This is no surprise to any of you. We haven't recorded in a bit, um, but I got engaged in September of 2023. And we have a wedding coming up at the end of October 2024. So, yeah. So you got to you gotta start working on that fitness gotta gotta look good for the wedding there are gonna be a shit ton of photos taken you're correct about that like some baby steps but, but that yeah, beautiful face that beautiful face huzzah um so. yeah and then probably my third new year's resolution is kind of related to the podcast but like being a bit more consistent i feel like i underestimated my first semester as a new faculty um and i mm-hmm. also overcommitted a lot so this is kind of like two in one but it's a weird state being a new faculty because now RTP and creating dossiers and keeping track of everything is kind of a new process for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now there's just this kind of like long-term deadline that, you know, at the five-year mark, you're going to get reviewed for tenure. And so in my mind, it's like, I want to make sure I'm doing all the things, right? I want to make sure that I, there is no, like, there's always a risk of shit hitting the wall always, right? Like something could go wrong. But if I can make a 99.9999% chance of successfully getting tenure, like I want to do everything in my power to do so. And so there's kind of like this odd feeling where, you know, I still feel this heavy motivation to do research for this, you know, research ten- or uh, retention, tenure, and pr- uh, promotion, these RTP guidelines. Um, on the other hand, I still love doing research, right? Like there's still that fun aspect of it, which I enjoy. But there's also this pressure, like, I need to do it. I need to make sure I'm getting published. I need to make sure I'm doing good teaching. I need to make sure I'm doing service, like, all these things. And so, like, my chair and my peers are basically saying, hey, you're going above and beyond already. You're doing great. You can slow down Um, because I committed a lot. Um, And I'm doing a lot of stuff that I'm enjoying doing. But I'm also saying, yeah, you know, the classic, like, start saying no. And then academics Mm -hmm. are always bad at that. So I kind of fell victim to that. But in part, I also want to do a bunch of stuff to, again, make sure I get tenure eventually. So it's like these mixed messages of this internal drive to make sure I'm doing everything possible. While my peers and my chairs are like, you can slow down, you can do less. And I'm like, I hear you. But do I also, I, I that's not making any sense. I'm not sure if you felt something similar, Cass, where it just feels like you're trying to get like all your ducks in the row and everyone's telling you like, oh, you're doing great. But there still mm-hmm. feels like you could be doing more just to make sure. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, no, that that's that my New Year's resolution is like, I took on a lot and I recognize I'm doing a lot of stuff that I probably should be saying no to. But, and I eventually will, but there's almost like this pressure just, but just in case, or like, you know, just sure. pretend you're, I should still, you know, just, just, it's that anxiety of like, just in case I can do one more research project or just in case. I can show up to this meeting or this committee or just, yeah, I, I don't know. And maybe yeah. that's an unhealthy mindset and I don't know how to fix it. Or if I'm, if it's, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Cause everyone's telling me to like slow down. I think but, for me, yeah. it's less of the like, just in case. And it's more of the, what makes it difficult for me is in part because I'm a people pleaser and saying, no is something that's really, really difficult because of that. But it's also just like the excitement of like wanting to be involved in things you know you spent so much time like as a as an undergrad and then a graduate student and it's like oh now you're in your dream job and like you just kind of want to say yes when opportunities like come up because it's like I've spent so much time like preparing to be able to do these kinds of things one of the best pieces of advice and I'm sure this has been 
given to you as well. Um, but one of the best pieces of advice that I've been given is to try and find opportunities where um, your like service and your research, especially like overlap with things that you're like really passionate about. Um, so like, for example, like I last semester joined a committee at my new institution on like open educational resources, um, which is like something that I'm super passionate about, um, something that overlaps with like research that we do. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's been like really cool to like be on a committee where it's like, oh, this is like me doing service, but it's also opening up doors and like teaching, you know, learning about new OERs and, and research as well. So and for those of you who are listening, like open educational resources or OERs, um, you already might be familiar with, but maybe not like the specific term, but it's those things where like those textbooks that are free online and available to use or online modules to help teachers assign for students. And so it really helps bridge the gap, particularly for those who, you know, aren't rich for students who are first year students who don't have a lot of money to make these open access, these open materials that have some, some vetting by people with doctorates, right, to make sure that they're high quality. And so listening to you, Cassie, I, I think you mentioned like you work with your OER librarian and you've been invited to create OER material. And so just for anyone who's listening, Cassie's doing some pretty cool stuff of making these resources for Thanks. basically anyone to use. So definitely check those out. And maybe if you already have some links to that, we can check. That's like, <laughs> not quite yet. But not quite yet, but they're in the process. Yeah. They are, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, and I've definitely been looking into OERs recently because um, I'm teaching a new class, which is a law of course, but for the first time, a research methods course. Um, and at my institution at California State University, East Bay, we've just changed this research methods course. And we've basically added an overlay called a W, right? So we're making it more writing intensive. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what I can do and what OERs I can use for my research methods course that are good. And so maybe I'll, even after her recording cats, I'm going to follow up with you and be like, share with me anything you have. Um, but I've also just been thinking about writing a lot generally, because even in my social side course, I like, I'll give assignments or give papers. And maybe this is a little too ham-fisted, but I do think this is a kind of a good segue where as I'm thinking about writing assignments to assign my students, right? Um, something that's been coming up and something that's happened, I was going to say a year ago, but now maybe a little bit more than a year now. It definitely came up in my final, in my last year at University of Alabama. So from 2022 to 2023 was when a lot of instructors and professors I was talking to were worried about. But assigning writing assignments is getting harder, Cassie. And it's getting yeah. harder because what students are turning in um, isn't plagiarism, Um but it's made by generative AI, specifically and mostly <gasps> comments this thing, gasp, but like <laughs> chat GPT, at least in my perception and right, my anecdotal evidence, seems like a lot of people are talking about, and when I say a lot of people, both students, um, as well as uh, teachers who give out any writing sense, because like people are just turning in computer generated, non-original work. And people are like, what do we do about this? But maybe I'm getting out of my head myself. Like, Cassie, what is generative AI? <laughs> well, what am I talking about? <laughs> but like, the, the segue, to the, but like, that's kind of been on my mind a lot. As I'm thinking about this writing course, this now writing heavy course, it's, are students going to be using AI? Should they be using AI? I talked to my peers. There's a lot of fears. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? So I think that... This is definitely a very popular topic of discussion, hence like part of the reason why we decided to talk about it on the podcast. Um, but like you, I think a lot of what I have heard about the use of generative AI in classes, especially these kinds of writing intensive classes, is a lot of fear. I think mm -hmm. a lot of instructors fear things like ChatGPT, administrators I mean you and I in talking right it's like you go to the chronicle of higher ed there are plenty of pieces you can read about people's opinions on on generative AI countless articles you, yeah yeah you know like I'm thinking back to August when I went to like my new faculty orientation a lot of what people were 
talking about was like addressing the use of chat GPT in the classroom and you know how can you like monitor for it how do you how do you catch it what do you do if a student has used a generative AI um, and I think yeah my general sense is that not all faculty but a lot of faculty are just really terrified about the future of our classes because students have access to this this generative artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm currently on my phone. I'm not ignoring you, Cassie, um, because I'm looking through a picture I took towards the end of the fall semester. And I'm not sure you can see it on Zoom too well because of the glare, but maybe you can see the QR code. Um, but what was basically outside of my office is a water fountain. And mm -hmm. on top of that wall fountain was a flyer with a QR code. And there's a giant title that kind of says, Master Chat GPT, don't get caught by your professors. <gasps> and oh so like, gosh. even right outside like my door, and I'm like, in the public domain, or like the public domain, but you know, in public, right outside all the faculty offices. That's is, wild. Uh, so like, you know, that definitely informs conversations that I'm happy happening with my peers, both within the psych department here, but also just across the campus of our students, like, is this basically misuse, abuse? How does this impact like learning objectives, right? So like these, these things that we try to strive for as educators, mm -hmm. is chat GPT undermining that or is just generative, it's the use of AI undermining that. And something that I'm not even sure I've told you about this yet, Cassie, but um, at my institution, we have these things called faculty learning communities or mm -hmm. FLCs. And so what they are is that, you know, one faculty kind of leads the group and then people get like an honorarium or stipend. But it's usually about like investigating a topic, doing research, having conversations with this group for about six to seven weeks. Um, and then at the end of it, there's kind of like this campus wide town hall where these faculty learning communities come out and they're like, here's what we've discussed. And so I actually joined one for this semester in spring 2024. And the topic is, let's have a conversation or investigation of how faculty, if and can faculty use generative AI. Um, so like, even now, like I'm going to be, or in a couple of weeks, I'll start meeting with my fellow faculty and like, we're just going to have like these, you know, two to three hour powwows of, you know, do we make recommendations? What are the recommendations for our peers? This is just something that's so new right like there are, there are no guidelines right that's why there are the chronicle higher ed articles because and their opinion pieces and they're like this is great this is horrible some people have kind of equated it to or how i conceptualize it um as well as kind of like the calculator right so this idea that when the calculator first came out um there was this whole hoopla of like these core fundamental math abilities now being done by this machine. Students won't know how to do math anymore. It's gonna take away their skills, right? Because this idea of doing it by hand, there's something special about doing it by hand and doing it yourself, right? And then obviously that kind of swayed to like, no, you learn math skills, but the calculator is now a tool that mm -hmm. is convenient, easy, makes a lot of the things that were kind of like nitpicky or like the hand-based stuff, just so much faster, easier, right? Efficient, like it's been wonderful. And so now the question is for writing materials, ChatGPT can help with spelling. It can help with grammar. It's been helping students who are have English as a second language, helping international students, right? Who might struggle with the structure of English and the spelling of English immensely. And it can also provide to varying degrees. Sometimes it's very superficial, very, sometimes very shallow, sometimes very obvious that it's computer-based, but sometimes it's not so obvious that okay. can just make content that sounds like a human. Um, and so there's this weird thing where, I shouldn't say weird thing, but when I attended the uh, Society of Teaching of Psychology or the TOP conference um, that was hosted in Portland in 2023, um, there was a session, right? So even psychology educators are like on ChatGPT. And so when I attended the session, Cassie, um, they basically said that all the things that were recommended for educators six months ago, right? And so that was at the time of October. So like early 2023, mm -hmm. how educators can get around and make sure that the students are doing their own work, right? Kind of like these anti-ChatGPT rules used to be uh, give a YouTube video link, right? As an assignment and ask students to respond to that YouTube video link because ChatGPT can't read YouTube links. 
right? Uh, or assign PDFs, right? That can't be like copied and pasted, right? Or like there's specific format that you can do that a chat GBT can't automatically read and synthesize. Or, and I believe the third one was like, um, have assignments that have students reflect on their personal life stories, right? Because ChatGPT is not a human being, right? There is no personal life stories, things from your childhood, right? Growing up sure. that it can rely on. And so they said, here are all the things that were recommended in early 2023. And then as of October 23, all those three suggestions are now obsolete. ChatGPT Whoa. can now realistically create a personal life story. It can, if for the paid service, you can just upload a YouTube link and it could be an hour long YouTube video. Couple of seconds, it gives you a full page summary of like, here's what everything was discussed about. PDFs, it can now read if you pay for this kind of advanced stuff. And so the way that higher education has always operated, right? Of do this assignment, write this short thing, watch a video, all of it, if a student really doesn't care about their education, they can just kind of fake it. Sure. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm sure you have some thoughts, but like one of the scary things, and again, they weren't fear mongering per se, but they're just saying, here's our new reality, right? That there might not, basically the sentence I remember from the session that sets out to me. And again, it's now been what, two, three months since then is that they believe that there's no longer such thing as a completely anti-AI assignment. Like basically there is no assignment that you can sign that someone couldn't cheat. And so they I did this like... demonstration where they went to, I think it was both Canvas and Blackboard. They, you know how you can assign like online quizzes? Yes. Right? And if it like pops up multiple choice question, they just said you can just copy it from Canvas, paste it straight into ChatGPT, like this list of like this pop to quiz 10 questions. And I think it got like nine out of the 10 questions right. And they were able wow. to take a quiz, ace it, 30 seconds or less. So they're like, even if you try to give assignments or quizzes or online tests, because there's like this huge movement to do hybrid courses or online courses, mm -hmm. ChatGPT is also impacting that as well. So like, they basically kind of shrugged and they're like, it's here to stay. You can't really create any anti-assignments anymore. And so maybe the big question of this podcast and what else is like, what are some concerns? What are some valid concerns? Maybe what are some invalid concerns? But is this the new calculator? Is this kind of like the new reality we live in? And I don't think anybody really knows what to do next, right? Like, I think that's why we see all these articles. We see, I've, at least my YouTube feed, filled with generative yeah. AI for educators, right? Yeah. There are journals that are saying, we are doing a call for proposals, right? We want people to talk about basically how students are using it, how do teachers perceive it? academically, pedagogically, in my own workplace, it's just there. And so I don't know, I, I ramble quite a bit, but we'll, I'll, I'll let you speak, Cassie, because I, I can no, tell these, there's something on your <laughs> There's These are all good thoughts. Um, the first thing that popped in my head, especially as you were like talking about the demonstration, one, I didn't know that chat GPT could do that with like multiple choice questions. Oh yeah, they did it in front of uh, us too. They're just like, you know, control C, control V, that's wild. That's wild. I um, I feel like this is like evidence or support for like potentially revamping classes into like a flipped style, though. You know where it's Tell like we're gonna do. So for those of you who maybe don't know, like what a flipped class is, um, it essentially like flips traditional course design. Where in a traditional course, you students come to class, you like lecture and have discussions and then they do work outside of class right write papers do worksheets whatever that may be in a flipped class instead outside of class the students listen to like a lecture or do some sort of reading a combination of both and then when you come to class you use class time to work on the actual assignments um i think it would be pretty bold of a student to like <laughs> i don't know use chat gpt right in front of the faculty member um, or the instructor, right, if they had asked them not to do that, um, you know, so like students are actually using their their own minds to do these sorts of things. Um, Can but, you unpack that yeah. a little bit for me? So like when you say students are using their own minds, right, I think I that mean, kind of touches into like one of the big conversations of, is it necessarily, are students not necessarily using their own mind if ChatGPT is providing like an initial talking points and they build off that? So I, I would say that if a student just takes like a, a quiz or something and puts it right into chat, chat GPT, like that's, that's chat GPT doing the work. Um, at least from my perspective, 
But, and like what I was going to say is like, I don't necessarily think that we have to vilify chat GPT or like other generative like AI systems. And I think a lot of like what we kind of wanted to focus on today was like using it as potentially a, a useful tool. So I really like your metaphor of like, is chat GPT like the new calculator? Um, and in many ways, I feel like this is also related to conversations that at least have happened in psychology, where we've sort of like removed like the statistical formulas and calculations out of a lot of stats classes for psychology, because like students have access to, you know, programs like SPSS um, or, or JASP or something like that, this kind of point click system where it's like there is no need for students to like learn how to calculate a T statistic by hand, right? Arguably. Um, yeah, I definitely know some instructors who very <laughs> much right. are like even at that level, like the <laughs> right, anti software yeah. level, they're like, no, sure, you'll do an ANOVA. Sure, but it, sure. <laughs> but it's like, oh, we have this like really powerful tool that allows us to do that, uh, right? I think that there's a direct parallel that can be be drawn there. Um, I think a lot of these like chat GPT conversations for me though, like they are like these like deep rooted, like philosophical questions at their core, right? So it's like, is there something human, right? That happens when a person does like the writing um, as opposed to like, entering things into like chat GPT for it to like produce this written document. Um, and I think a lot about conversations I've seen online about like using generative AI to create art, like visual art, um, mm -hmm. you know, like d digital yeah. paintings or like whatever it may be. There are you some know, programs like, called, uh, I think it's called Dolly, where like you yeah. just type in any prompt, but, you know, ocean yeah. done in the style of Van Gogh. And sure. Yes. That right. I, yeah. So like there too, it's like, is there this, like I could tell chat GPT, right. As someone who like writes poetry, hopefully more than I have been in the last few years. Right. I think I could tell chat GPT to like write me a limbrick or like write me a haiku, like in the style of like whoever. Um, and it could do it. Right. Like I could say like, or, or I've also been thinking like <laughs> as someone who's getting married in, in the next year, like what if I told chat GBT to like write my wedding vows or something like that? I think that's happened already. I think that was a news story where someone was like, oh, yeah, wow. I used chat GBT to help me write that. And yeah. does that take away from the authenticity of it? Yeah. Do you feel like it does? So like, especially for someone like who's maybe not great with their words, right? Or like just needs sure. a starting point. And this goes back to the education thing, right? Like is using it as a starting point, the worst thing mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and I, I don't know what it is because kind of talking about why it's important to discuss this topic and why everyone's talking about it is that even I think my sister who's currently working in HR, people from undergrad who are working in industry, people who mm -hmm. I know in legal law firms, lawyers, medical doctors, People who are working are all now using ChatGPT, using AI. And if one of the purposes of a college education is to prepare you for the workforce, mm -hmm. right? And we're not teaching the skill set of how to use it. That almost feels like now, like higher education is almost getting left behind from what the workplace needs. Like, I think sure. you're more competitive if you know how to use this type of stuff. And I think at the I same time, what's hard is that if professors are supposed to teach these skills, I don't think, and maybe I'm a bold, I don't think most professors have the skills themselves, right? Sure. Which I think is what the call is for. It's like, how can we teach these things when nobody really knows what's going on? Yeah. And so, so I don't know. I, I think one of the big things for me is, is transparency about the use of chat GPT. So I think that like, if I, I absolutely, like if my, fiance <laughs> my partner was like I use chat GPT to write my wedding vows I would be upset by that I don't know in a different kind of context though right so like thinking about writing up like a lab report or a research report or whatever it may be I think you're absolutely right that like chat GPT can be an incredibly useful tool for that but what's important there is transparency I think about the use of chat GPT um does that make sense? Like, I feel <laughs> perhaps this is like no surprise, like coming from like 
big advocates of like open transparent science. But I feel like if you're going to be using a tool like ChatGPT, then you just need to be transparent about it. No, and I, I try to do something similar for the the self-reflections and assignments I give to my students because um, mm -hmm. I try to do more like the embrace it um, where I basically said, if you did use this for your self-reflection or if you did do this when I asked you to respond to like a video, mm -hmm. if you used it, just tell me how you used it. Yeah, right? what's your process? And so, yeah, what's your process? So I have them do that. Um, and I think that's working for like students so far, at least last semester, we're pretty honest. Um, and mm -hmm. the majority of them were like, I used it for spelling and grammar. Um, it's like that tends to be like the big thing that students say. So there's almost this perspective of educators, as weird as it sounds, catastrophizing, right? Mm -hmm. And I almost have the demonstration, like here's the possibility of a student who doesn't want to learn and how they can just get around everything. Mm -hmm. But then that kind of goes into one, are students themselves aware that they can do that? Because a lot of my students had never used ChatGPT. And they just seem surprised. A lot of my students, when I asked them like how their experience was, were like anthropomorphizing ChatGPT. It's like, he's like a good friend, right? Or a lot of them be like, I've never used this before, but like, this is kind of cool, right? So I don't know. There's this weird thing where you have the educator's perspective of doom and gloom and a bad student will get away with everything. And then, I don't know, my anecdotal experience with students who are like, we really didn't use this and we kind of used it. And yeah, spelling's kind of, you know, it's almost like a different degree or level where they're just like, oh, yeah, you know. So, and I think this goes, um, this kind of calls back to our previous many, many of our conversations we've had on this podcast where it's like, do you trust students? Or if a student just doesn't want to learn, if a student wants to cheat, they're going to cheat. And, you know, that that's life. Um, and so that's why I kind of have the thing, just like, just be transparent. Just tell me how you used it. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I, I feel like basically in some, I think students are using it to a more basic and lesser degree than maybe many educators are mm -hmm. scared of. Mm -hmm. um, noting that there's always going to be a small percentage of students who do just copy and paste whatever open AI tells them. Right. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of like, well, students are also going to plagiarize as you know, that's the classic one. Even if you try to have all these conversations, there's always going to be a couple who cheat. Sure. It's like, it's almost like an acceptability rate, right? Like, do you accept whatever percentage is just going to do that no matter what? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Am I being too optimistic or do you feel, I'm not sure. Have you given any assignments or asked your students to be transfer? Like, yeah. What's your experience as an educator? Like using it I or have, employing it? Yeah. I haven't formally, I mean, I've played around on chat GPT just like personally. Um, I haven't like formally like given any kind of assignments using chat GPT. Um, that is like something that I like want to explore doing um for like future sections of like research methods and stuff like that um yeah because I do I really do just feel that like especially for more sort of procedural sections you know like where you're like writing out your method section or even like a results section of like a paper in terms of like if chat GPT can like correctly use like APA style and like do all of the formatting and things like that. Like what a useful tool. Um, no, definitely. And it could also be you write your original work and just say, I want you to be someone who's an APA reader. Mm -hmm. Please provide me feedback on what I wrote. And so it's mm -hmm. not always, this, yeah. So it can be, you have your original stuff and you're supposed to say, here's feedback. Give me the feedback. You know, yeah. if maybe your, your teacher, your educator, isn't that great. Or like, if you don't always feel comfortable yourself as an educator, yeah. Giving advice on the APA format, you can recommend your student to be like, here's a resource for you, mm -hmm. right? That they can do on their own time without office hours. And that's incredibly helpful. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to say that some benefits of chat GPT, kind of to your point, is that interactive tutoring, right? So like if students, if you're talking about the dual systems of psychology, system one and system two and social cognition, um, which was uh, something I taught and something that was more difficult. Like that, you know, when you get feedback from students, they're like, that was more difficult to grasp, right? Mm -hmm. One thing educators can do is like, hey, ask ChatGPT. And you can say, give me this, whatever the topic you talked about in class at a fifth grade level, at a middle school level. Can you give me an example of this in the workplace? And ChatGPT can and does. I know I've, there's also the possibility for interviews and asking it to like take on personas. I might mention this in previous podcasts, but like when I taught history of psych, I would say 
of all these historical figures we've talked about, ask ChatGPT to take on this person, Freud, and then ask it about issues and like record your interview and write your reflections on the interview. I've heard clinical psychologists who, when they do their training at the graduate student level, have assigned ChatGPT or have their students, the graduate students, for, go to ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT to take on the persona of a patient with like schizophrenia or a patient with relationship problems and then simulate, right? Simulate a session. Now, is it at the level of a real thing? No, right? But this like level of role play, this level of interaction, the, hey, let's have a, let's have a 10 minute scripted talk, right? Where you practice what you say and then it can give you feedback after. So there's role playing, case studies, all that stuff. Um, and that's just at the student end, all right? Sometimes we as educators can assign articles research articles mm -hmm. and as we all know sometimes research articles aren't always aren't always written at a user-friendly public-friendly level and i mean i've done this myself but i've gone to my own research assistant and say hey the article that you found is kind of like a pretty dense just copy and paste a couple of paragraphs and ask ChatGPT to just reword it so like it can help you if you're reading it can help you if you're literature it can help you if you're writing it can help you if you're formatting um, if there's an article in a different language, it can do cross-cultural language translation. Yeah. And everything I talked about is stuff that I'm pulling from ChatGPT, as I just typed in as I was listening to you, how can psychology educators use ChatGPT? And so like those four or five bullet points of ChatGPT telling me that as educators ourselves, <laughs> I've also heard of instructors and something I'm kind of thinking about, it's help me design a 15-week cor course syllabus on yeah. some major topics on X type of course. So like, I'm like, oh, if I want to create an elective course on, I don't know, human sexuality or cyber psychology or anything, right? And I'm like, oh God, like, what do I teach about? It can give you 15 weeks. If you ask as an educator, can you come up with a lesson plan? It can. If you say, can you give me three topics or three activity ideas that relate to teaching about cognitive dissonance? It can. It's like, so I, I know we're talking more at the student level, but as an educator level, I've seen sure. my peers say, I'm using this to help me become a better teacher. So one of the things that I think I might start using chat GPT for, because some of my colleagues here have been talking about it, is to write letters of recommendation. Oh, okay. So um, some some of the faculty that I know here um, have like talked about, they have like a letter of recommendation form that they have students fill out where it's like, you know, your name, your major, what are some adjectives you would use to describe yourself, like this sort of thing. And then you plug it into chat GPT and it spits out a letter of recommendation. Um, and I'm like, that is absolutely genius. Um, right. I spent I have like a template that I use for like a lot of like letters of rec, mm -hmm. um, especially for students that I don't really know that well. But that would be so time saving. Mm -hmm. And it adds a little bit of variability as well. So it's not the exact same template as well. Right. Because you can just genius. be like, here are the same things, you know, mm -hmm. you know, same text, different font type of deal, like catching these spices sure. up a little bit just so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if it's a student, you know, like that you perhaps like know a little better, you can always like, you know, go in and like personally add like an anecdote or something like that. But I was like, that is such a smart idea. Because um, if you it haven't written a letter, uh, letters of recommendation are so time consuming, especially yeah. good ones. <laughs> Over at Christmas break and New Year's, I already got three more emails. <laughs> so I'm like, I know. Ah, I, have, like, I was like, I'm on break right now. I will get back to this later. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it just takes a lot of time and I'm like Ugh. it does no but it's particularly interesting um here let me go back to some of our questions that we had so ba -ba 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 -ba. oh um one AI tool that I've been using and I've actually kind of been paying for and I found it helpful but I don't know you know I haven't done a comparison but have you ever heard of Sight, S-C-I-T-E? No. Sight AI is kind of like a psych info. It's kind of like a Google Scholars, um, but it's kind of an artificial intelligence driven literature database. Hmm. And so what you can do is that it finds articles, right? It provides uh, available, um, but it also will give you, there's like this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this 
plugin, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plugin is what I'm looking for, where you can look up a PDF on an article and then it will give you on the side how many articles have either tried to replicate or have supported that finding, how many other articles have gotten mixed results, how many other articles have done something similar but gotten the opposite or contradictory or challenging the results. And so for me, something that I've kind of been doing is it doesn't just give you like here's cited by or references, but it also does this basically scanner version of telling you like how much support does this article have, um, wow. which I like to me, at least it's been pretty helpful for me. Um, and it's been a really quicker way because you can also just type in like almost in the chat GBT style. It's like, what evidence is there on X intervention? Mm -hmm. And just typing in that question, right? Rather than like those key term buzzwords mm -hmm. that typically is the normal Google Scholar way. Asking the question, it will automatically find articles for you that try to answer that question for you. That is so cool. It is. So I've been using it. I've been liking it quite a lot. Um, it also gets to a really interesting thing about citations because what people are worried about, but see, this is kind of thing of like, is this how it normally is done anyway? But I'm getting on myself that it, it, is it the Matthew effect that I'm thinking of? Or what, what's the effect where it's like the rich get richer? You know what I'm talking about? So like pop, people who are already popular are probably going to get more oh. attention, right? People who are already rich are much probably make even more money. Right. And so in terms of citations, right, if people are already citing one study a lot, then for the AI, the AI is automatically going to put that at the top of the results, yeah. which means that those famous researchers, right, people who might not come from more of a traditional background, people who might come more from a privileged background, might get privileged on these search databases because everyone's looking at it and AI is trying to show you like what's popular, what's relevant. Right. And so sometimes that can obscure researchers, right, who are less well known, or maybe there's a really good paper, but if no one's read it, right, like that doesn't go to the top. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. Of like, does this basically like perpetuate issues? Mm -hmm. On the other side, the status quo, it's a lot of people look at, you know, H indexes and they look at highly cited articles anyways. Sure. Right. So like, does that happen anyway? So I, I mean, don't know. that's. That's just like a quick heuristic too, though, right? Like I find an article on Google Scholar that's been cited 3,000 times. I'm like, oh, all right. I should yeah, like definitely people look are at saying, this one. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, a reviewer is going to be like, why aren't you mentioning this, right? This is sure, a well-known exactly. one. So it's like, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and citations and generally tying this back to being an educator, because I've also heard stories of students and of professors and of lawyers, oddly enough, mm saying, hey, chat GPT, going back to chat GPT, you know, give me uh, give me five studies on the impact of mindfulness on empathy, right? Intervention on X outcome, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And what it will say is, WIT 2022, you know, mindfulness improves empathy. Uh, Miranda 2021, mindfulnesses correlates with empathy, blah, blah. So basically, if you go to WIT or you go to me, Miranda, and you were to Google Scholar us, we're real people. We do empathy-based slash mindfulness-based research, right, as an example. And so people are like, oh, perfect. Let me get these titles, right, with these hyperlinks and these DOIs. This seems very legit. Seems like what they would do. The issue is, and what's something I've told my students, ChatGPT just makes up a realistic sounding title. It has links to nowhere. So like basically it's sort of like fake references on mm -hmm. papers that don't exist. Mm -hmm. In realms of lawyers, there was this um, example that as I asked my students to use ChatGPT responsibly and I tried to make them aware of this, I think a lawyer, as a lawyer, you have to like debrief the judge or be like, here are previous court cases that set precedent. precedent and so like yeah. a lawyer was like, apparently like, oh, find me court cases related to whatever this case is. And ChatGPT was like, you know, the US government versus wit. 1990 Miranda versus Oberfell I don't fucking know 2015 right like realistic <laughs> sounding court cases mm -hmm. with like summaries of what happened in this case but it's also completely made up and the judge was like what the hell I, I think the person either I'm not sure if they were disbarred or like they faced oh I think gosh. they faced some sort of punishment right but there's that's yeah. also kind of a concern for me of it will provide you information that sounds real, that looks real, that if you did a quick glance and you looked up Cassie Witt and you're like, oh, she's a mindfulness researcher, right? Everything mm -hmm. seems real. 
And so if if you're using it too much as a heuristic, as a shortcut, mm. it will also just give you wrong information that sounds right. And so I don't know if, it, I don't know to the level of extent it gives you wrong information or false citations or false research that doesn't exist. Well, I mean, this goes back to like a lot of the challenges of teaching like scientific literacy in this day and age anyway, right? Like you scroll through Twitter or X or whatever, and you know, you see some article or somebody posting something on, on Facebook, right? Like, sure, you can repost it, but it's probably good to like actually read the article and try to see if you can like glean whether or not it's talking about something that actually happened. Um, so I think it ties into just like a lot of concerns that, you know, science educators have generally about like teaching students, you know, spotting misinformation or incorrect information. No, well, definitely. I wonder for, in your syllabi, do you have like an AI policy? Like do you have a I chat GPT policy? Do you, what, yeah. what is that like? How in, is it like a short sentence? Is a blurb like be transparent? Is it like in depth? Sure. I mean, it's basically like chat GPT is a, a tool um, but please don't use chat GPT like on your assignments unless like explicitly you're given permission or whatever, something like that. No, that's fine. what I what I what I don't want to do is like create the perception that like chat GPT is like something <laughs> nasty and, and awful and you're like a nefarious person if you like decide you want to like try to use chat GPT for things um but at the same time yeah like I really value like that that honesty and that transparency um no well, that makes sense to me I'm just thinking of because I also with those benefits of chat GPT right well the spelling the grammar the individualized tutoring all that stuff one thing I even think about as far as like teaching statistics and or methods, right? Um, and it's something that's really cool that happens, but like in the open science movement, right? That we always talk about, there's been this idea of making you even your like code, right? So like, don't just use the point and click format, even though it's really helpful for students, you know, teach your students how to code in R or open source or something along those lines of like ggplot2 to make visualizations. And coding is like really hard. Like that's usually like the big hurdle so even if you're really passionate about it, you have to learn it yourself. And then getting students who are psych majors, you're like, oh, computer coding, that's that's scary, right? That's generally scary. Yeah. And just using ChatGBT and saying, can you write me a code in R, in the R language, to run a regression? I've seen people do that, and it just automatically creates code. I've also seen people say, can you explain to me what each line of code is doing and teach me what each line of code is doing and how it relates to statistics and it'll be like and it does them and provide summaries mm -hmm. so I, I i'm very much like you as again i'm thinking about my future classes of like it's is something lost by not having them do everything by hand um or like coding by hand or writing by hand and and when i say writing by hand um i've heard of uh, instructors where they're so scared of ai right that they made it's a kind of, I'm not sure if it's a bold decision, this um strong decision to be like any like papers now have to be turned in handwritten. Uh, right. Because like, can you can you really cheat? Or I mean, you would have to copy by hand anything that ChatGPT yeah, says. That would be a lot. But I'm just like, my handwriting is crappy. <laughs> right. The grammar is like, I don't know. I feel like that open, I'm not sure that's the right solution is to then yeah. completely now abandon any. I, I, this is one time I'm like, I, I don't know, there's that balance and I don't know what that I, balance is. I also think there's something about students being introduced to chat GPT, like in the context of a class, like as a tool rather than like, I don't know, going behind their professor's back and like using it to complete an assignment. And I don't know if your parents were like this. It makes me think a lot about like being a teenager and I distinctly remember like my dad being like, okay, take a sip of this, this beer. Like you can drink some of this, this beer, right. Cause it takes some of the taboo away from like alcohol, right. Like in the hopes that like, you're not going to go, go out and like do something, you know, crazy and get alcohol poisoning as like a 17 year old. 
Um, right? Like, Remind I, me, I is whiskey know. your choice? <laughs> 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 like, I'm pretty sure my first sip of alcohol was a Coors Light. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it's like, I think it's like that kind of thing, you know, where it's like, all right, like, here's this sort of like taboo thing that like people talk about, like, you're not supposed to do it. Um, but we're gonna like, we're gonna do it together, you know, um, right in this very controlled environment. So I think it, yeah, it takes a, some of the the sort of taboo like a, away from it, and and I think it also gives you an opportunity to sort of like instill within students like this kind of like mentality about generative AI as something that's like potentially useful like as a tool right like here like the pros and cons of it right how here's how you can use it in all these like different ways um I don't know and I I I really think that that kind of like conversation about chat GBT just generally can create that sort of like trust with students where it's like we're being super (laughs) transparent about this um Right. So like maybe students then aren't tempted to use chat GPT in ways that you don't necessarily want them to for your courses. No, definitely. And I think that even though our recording software is like, there's just a lot we don't know because nobody really knows. One of the things I do love being about, you know, an educator and a researcher is that you and I are like doing a project on this, right? Where we're going to go to our, each of our own institutions for anyone who's listening, you know, stay tuned for the results, but like, we're going to ask, you know, the faculty at our institutions, the students at our institutions, and try to see, like, do you use this? How do you use this? Why do you use this? What are your perceptions of this? And so we're really trying to figure out, like, you know, are do faculty have a kind of a good sense of what students are doing? Do students even have a good sense or motivation of what they're doing themselves? I'm not sure. It'd be very interesting to, like, look these perceptions of these unique challenges and tribulations and successes, right? Because there might be some instructors yeah. with that. So for those yeah. of you who are like, oh, they don't know that, they're like, don't worry, there'll be a follow-up. Well, we're done, and <laughs> we're doing it this uh, semester. Yeah, and I don't know, there's some quant, some qual. Yeah, we're going to hear people and listen to what they say. So for any yeah. of you who listen and have our Twitter and want to be like, here's how I use it, I'll be on the whole account yeah, for please that. please let us know. <laughs> we have yeah, to, like, I mean, like, that should be a news resolution, more social media engagement. But yeah, yeah that should be one of our podcast resolutions. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I'm super excited to collect data for that project. I mean, like when I first like proposed to the idea, it was because I had been in like new faculty orientation in August and people were like talking about like the scary chat GPT. And it's like, but do we have evidence that we should be scared of chat GPT, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's probably the, the answer will always be it depends. But I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out how it depends. Sure. I would say probably then my like last question for you is, do you think that this nervousness around ChatGPT, right, this kind of like anxiety of it, do you think that's driven from more of people who just have a general fear of technology? Or like, do you just think that, the, do you think this is AI specific? Or do you think this is kind of more of a general disposition to be like fear of big change or fear of tech or fear? Like, you know, I, I feel like there are some people who like just doing things a certain way right? They've always done things a certain way and really any big shakeups to that. So like even ungrading, right? Like this, this almost like fear of change or maybe like openness to experience or I, I'm not sure. Does that make sense? Like, is this more of a general thing or do you think that this is like an AI specific thing that's largely driving? Like is it ChatGPT? I'm repeating myself too much, but hopefully that makes sense. No, I think that's an, I think that's an excellent question. I mean, I don't want to reduce it down maybe to just a general thing, but yeah, I think just like fear of like change, fear, fear of the unknown is something that most human beings struggle with. Um, And I know like we've chatted before about, you know, sort of comparing all of this to like when the internet first started to become popular, right? And, you know, people were just absolutely terrified. Like I'm sure some people still are terrified of the internet, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. It, it was this huge cultural shift, uh, right? Created this huge cultural shift um, and created this huge change in how a lot of things, especially education happened. And I think with ChatGPT, right, we're starting to see another pretty big change in how we have to approach educating college students. That's such an interesting example because as you were talking, my immediate thought was that some fears did come true 
and that wasn't a bad thing when the internet mm -hmm. so like when i think about when i listen to some older faculty um right even as a graduate right like people who got their phds 30 years ago uh and they talk about having to do their dissertation and having to do it by um or like sending out manuscripts via mail and having to get out uh, what not the source what's the word i'm looking for uh, an encyclopedia what, what's the language that was good encyclopedia or basically like research stuff had to be like paper and books and everything had to be handed sure. you had to open up like thousand page things to like cite whatever from whatever um and people were like if the internet's going to change that there's going to be like this loss of paper books and you know there's something special about paper but like fast forward to 2024 now I don't think anyone wants to go back to the so like that fear was justified but like yeah. it made everything so much more efficient and easy and quicker and and so like, like sometimes not... change or like letting go of old ways is a good thing and so I wonder Absolutely. like when people are like oh people aren't going to work on their spelling as much anymore because chat gpt is just going to automatically fix it and i'm like well if that's the world we live in and now it can just automatically fix it is that really a skill set you need if you can have if that's time that can be spent elsewhere in like developing i'm not sure if that makes any sense I i'm just wondering what fears 20 years from now are valid and people will be like but it's great that we let go of certain you know i'm not sure I don't think that chat GPT is like going to get to the point where it like replaces original human thought. And I think that a lot of people are really scared that like that is going to be what happens. And I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, like even when you're using chat GPT, you still have to like have enough competency, right? And knowledge to be able to type things into chat gpt right you know to critically I, so I, interact with it that is yeah, yes, a skill yes. set yeah and so i just i don't know i i don't think that we're like entering into like end of times the robots the artificial intelligence is like gonna take over like i don't think we're entering into like a matrix style apocalypse like, mm -hmm. I don't think that chat GPT is the harbinger of death, you know. Harbinger of death. Uh, <laughs> oh, that should be the title of the episode. Harbinger uh, of death? Question mark. A, a critical discussion on chat GPT. <laughs> we should go to title chat GPT. Name, name our podcast episode. Here's what we talked about. <laughs> oh my gosh. We should actually use chat GPT to write our show notes. We should, and we'll see if people like it better. We'll be like, well, fuck, this saves us a lot yep. of time. This saves us <laughs> 30 minutes to an hour. Let's go. Oh, we yep. can like upload the recording and be like, you know, listen to this recording and write 250 word or whatever show notes. Oh, yeah. there we go. There we go. There we go. Uh, I one, uh, I even said one last thing, but one, one last thing it's, and this is just me being more of the techie side and loving technology, right? But one thing I like is that everything we see now, everything we hear now, everything that the current state of generative AI, this is the worst it will ever be again. And mm -hmm. so like, while we're so impressed, just knowing in a year from now or 10 years from now, we'll look back and be like, oh, that was so primitive. That was so old, right? That was so limited. And so I'm not saying that we're going to go to the end of times, but like, just the i'm interested in like the capacity of like what it will become or like the sure. things that it will provide because maybe there will be better way there just might be novel ways that we're not even thinking about now that can help students um so yeah that that those are my kind of like last thoughts so do you have any remaining ones before we wrap up just that just that change is inevitable <laughs> say it more honestly change we're all gonna <laughs> die one day <laughs> Oh, okay. Don't worry. When you die, I'll be like ChatGPT. Write me an obituary. Uh, <laughs> see, not necessarily good. wedding vows. As long as can... it makes people cry. As long... Make me a sentimental. Here's some few buzzwords. <laughs> Here's some adjectives. Here's how long I've known her. <laughs> Just adjust uh, the letter rec prompt. Yeah, basically. So I guess in some we don't really have like a clear answer of like whether or not chat GPT is like <laughs> the root of all evil. Um, but I think our opinion together as co-hosts of this podcast um, is probably that chat GPT could be a really useful tool, not only for students, but for educators as well. Um, there's a lot that we still don't know, 
Um, but I think that we have a responsibility as teachers to make sure that we ourselves are like staying knowledgeable about the use of generative AI um, and using best practices and using it in our courses. And I definitely would want to revisit this topic, like this kind of like episode as almost like a part two, but like maybe a year from now and say like, hey, we're starting to get, you know, we're starting to use this more. We're starting to, here are now our stories, right? Here's what research is getting published. I think that might be an interesting follow-up, right? It'll be a longer follow-up, but like, I'm not sure. I just think that there's so many exciting changes that are going to happen by then or just more information. Um, Absolutely. And by then we'll have some of our own data. Yeah, we could be like, hey, cite us, people. Okay. <laughs> um, but other than that, I think this is a good place to, you know, put a pause on for now. Um, for those of you who are still listening, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And other than that, I hope you all have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hello, hello again. We want to thank you once more for listening to Two Mad Weirdos. If you want to listen to Cassie and I some more, we'll be posting episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you want to get in touch with us, we can be found on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram with the handle at CorruptYouthPod. Or feel free to email us at CorruptingTheYouthPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and helping us spread the corruption. Bye! Bye.